Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. everyone glad to know my power's on this time you know I always have trouble turning it on power and we I we always have an issue by the way speaking of power one day I caught one of my kids uh, chewing on electrical wires yeah I, I, I guess I just have to ground him you know my daughter doesn't think I give her enough privacy and I have no idea why she would think that I mean I read it in her diary in case you can't tell, we're talking about childbearing today, <laughs> parenting 101. We're going to call today fearless parenting, and we're going to talk about parenting. And, um, you know, everyone is awesome at something until you have to do it, right? Like the, the guy that is sitting at home watching his TV saying to the coach, you know, you should know that play. I mean, I can see it clears a bell. Obviously, that guy knows everything about coaching. That's why he's at home watching the game on the television instead of coaching the team, right? Or, yeah, yeah. Well, we're like that as, as people, right? Before, when we got married, we were like, man, our kids are never going to act like that. You know, you remember those days, guys? We were like, my kid's never going to act up in the never. restaurant like that. Never. My kid's always going to eat their vegetables. Vegetables are so important. Well, we did have that as one of our things that we want. Yeah, we, that's one of my things. Right, so I want us to eat healthy. I don't want us to healthy. We're going to eat yeah. healthy. The only problem is with that is that when you have a child who has gag reflex and you say to them, you will sit here and you will eat those green beans. Uh, what did you say? You said, You're going to sit here and eat those green beans. I don't care if you have to sit there all night long, and I'm going to sit right here, and I'm going to watch and make sure you do it. So I go out into the kitchen, and that was a great thing mandate until the child with gag reflexes decide they were going to throw up everything well, they, they had already decide. eaten. Well, yeah, they didn't decide. They were just chewing, and all of a sudden it was like... Because cold green beans are way worse than hot green beans. And, the, and I was just laughing in the kitchen. I said, they're going to sit there until they eat those green beans or throw up all over the place, one of the two. So, but in any case, yeah, you yeah, kind of learn. Yeah, I guess learn. that's a way you to get out, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, parenting is something that no one is prepared for. You know, nobody is. But guess what? It happens. You know, we've been talking about love and family and that kind of thing. And, you know, it starts like uh, Kevin and Robin sitting in a tree, <laughs> K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then, then comes, comes babies in the baby carriage, right? It happens. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, if you start the process, you know, it naturally, something like that naturally happens a lot. So what happens when you get kids? Well, the first thing we want to say today, and we want to make this very, very clear, is that we're not experts. Uh, we have learned through some mistakes, and more what you're going to hear today is come through our mistakes than our, our, our victories. Um, and there's some things in the scriptures, though, that give us a real insight how to deal with parenting and the attitudes we should approach parenting with. And that's what we want to do is we want to look at the attitudes and some thoughts and that in scripture. So if you would, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
So Jesus, we are thankful that we can be here. We're so grateful for the sun that's out today, Lord. We, we don't take those things for granted. We're thankful for family, family that's around us, Lord. Whether we are here in this place and we're single today, or whether we are married, or whether we're divorced or a single parent, Lord, you meet us all exactly where we are. So I ask that today you would just come into this place. May your presence be real, and may you be honored in everything that is said and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn and smile at some before you're seated if you're online hey here's a big smile yeah you need somebody to smile at you occasionally to let you know you're loved hey the wonderful thing about this message is this message is going to apply to us all and the reason is because all of us are children as much as we are parents so there's a, a balance that's going on here we're all parent uh, if you're not a parent yet uh, you are a child and we are all children of God and we're going to learn some lessons from from that relationship, some things that you can take away from your life. So we, we want to make three big statements about fearless parenting. I think those, those statements can apply to everybody in some measure. So, so the first one is healthy parents are better parents. So, you know, in the scripture, in Ephesians 6, 2 through 3, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. So what does that mean, to honor your father and mother? Well, what happens if your father or mother maybe did some things that aren't worthy of honor? What happens if you're in a, uh, you know, you grew up in a family where there were family disorders, where your family of origin was goofed up? You know, we all carry our family of origin with us into adulthood, right? Our family of origin does impact us. And we, were, we, we saw this recently in a, in a more comical way, but a real way. Um, well, okay, so when we got married, so this is just a light example of family of origin. So I grew up every meal we ate together and we set the table. And when I say set the table, you know, we're not talking cloth napkins, but you had your knife and fork and spoon on the proper sides. You had your napkin where it was supposed to be, your glass where it was supposed to be, and you had a table setting. That's how I grew up. And, and you would take, they would take a, a food out of a perfectly good cooking utensil and put it in a special serving utensil. Which meant double washing, right? For all of you practical right. people out there. Well, my family of origin, my mom worked full-time, my dad worked full-time, and then if you know anything about my dad, my dad worked us another full-time job after the full-time job. So my dad worked uh, between mowing grass and cutting wood and stuff for a good 60 to 70 hours a week, plus serving at church all the time, all this time. So meal times at us was a matter of duty, not so much a matter of celebration. So we would get together and we would, you know, eat what came right off the oven, right out of the pan that was cooked in, and you grab a couple of plates and you throw them on the, the table and your forks would often wind up in the middle of the plate. Right. So when we got married and I said, we're going to set the table. She wanted me to set the table. You know, so what do you do? You put the plates and then he would plop the forks. And I'm like, whoa, man, that is not how you set a table here. Okay. Let's learn some, you know, and in my mind, that was just, you set a table properly. In his mind, that was setting the table. Were either one of those wrong? No. It was a family of origin thing. It wasn't at all. So the thing is, ultimately, we ate together. There you go. The ultimate goal was handled. So there are other, that's a lighthearted way of saying family of origin, but there are other things concerning family of origin that I think you're even thinking about right now in your head concerning your families. Like how you deal with anger, like how you deal with codependency and passive aggressiveness, how you deal with discipline, how you deal 
with drug and alcohol abuse, how you deal with, those are, those are big issues that your family of origin teaches you how to deal with your self-image and those kind of things. Well, here's the deal. We come into our adult lives having brought with us family of origin issues. All of us have issues from our family of origin. Nobody's perfect, and parents have a way of passing it on. And, and this, how do you honor your father and mother when maybe they weren't around, or maybe they were abusive, or things like that. And, I, uh, and, and this, this family of origin passing on is called a generational curse. Anybody ever heard that language used? Generational curse. And that's the language people use to pass on. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to go back to the passage in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, and look at what's called a generational curse. It says, uh, that God is punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generation. And, and God's not necessarily punishing the parents for the sin. What's happening is the kids are continuing to replicate the same mentalities that got the parents into the sin. If your dad's an alcoholic because he never dealt with a problem and he never taught you how to deal with a problem, then you could carry on those same issues into your adulthood until something happens. What happens? The third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousand generations of those who what? Who love me. So there's a, there's a, a difference that goes on here. If you want to break a family curse or a, a generational curse, this is very, very simple. Choose to love God more than your family of origin. There you go. The curse will be broken. So it's not some demon you got to cast out or anything stupid like that. What it is, is it's an intentional choice that you can make to be done with your family of origin issues. So we would say that Jesus breaks the curse of sin on the cross. That's right. It's the same exact with this. Jesus can break the curse if you love him. Uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who is a neuroscientist, uh, brain doctor basically, she says it only takes one person in a family to end and unwire relational trauma and inherited toxic habits and patterns. Your parents' toxic toxicity does not have to be you or your children's destiny. In other words, you need to stop the crazy, right? It has to stop somewhere. And you be that change. You yeah. be the stopper. Yeah. AA, uh, Alcoholic Anonymous, says the same thing in their big book. They say many of us are confronted with guilt about our roles uh, as parents. We see so clearly with hindsight that we could have been better parents, and other of us recall the unfairness of our own parents and find it hard to forgive them. So this mixture of guilt and resentment is a part of the problem. Even today, our children are not helped by our guilt, but they will be helped at any age by our amended lives. So what speaks volumes to your kid? Maybe you're sitting here and you're living in guilt right now. Well, I didn't do it right. I wasn't saved. I, I messed up. I've had this life. And yeah, I'll tell you what speaks thousands and thousands of volumes to your kid, an amended life, a life that has now chosen to live for Jesus Christ and a completely reformed life. Because even if you messed up in the past, there is still hope for you. And there is still hope for your kids because they see now how Jesus' love can change you. And if it yes. can change you, it can change them. So keep in mind, an amended life speaks louder than any mistake that you could have ever made. I want to talk about, real quick, the number one mistake parents make, okay? If, if your parents made mistakes and, and they did things that were wrong, you have a choice to honor them. 
How can you honor them? Well, you can honor them by fulfilling your best life. I'm going to say that again. How can you best honor your parents, even with all their failures and brokenness, if you become the man or woman, the best you you can be? And, and there is a, a big wound in America. I want to talk about it real quick. It's the biggest wound. It's the biggest wound probably that our culture faces, and that is in this passage today where it talks about fathers don't exasperate your children. And one of the, the biggest wounds is fatherlessness. Fatherlessness is the wound that drives most of the problems in our culture. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teens come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides, 83% of children exhibiting behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions are fatherless. 85% of youths in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. So there is an issue, and the number one, the reason I bring this up is, hey, Dad, Dad, be a man. Be a man. Stay with, if you've got a problem with a spouse, work it out. Be a man. Whatever you do, don't check out. Be a man. Men, men. Our culture undermines you all the time. I'm telling you, and you will hear repeatedly from this pulpit, that a man of God makes an impact. Be a man. God made you special. Act like it. All right? Quit running from it. Act like it. Now, one other thing I need to add here, all right? If you're from a fatherless home, or, or maybe divorce or something has taken your kids away from their dad, I, I just I want, to, I want to tell you who we are as a church, all right? We are the church of that 10% that don't get in trouble of that 30% who don't go to the juvenile home. Do you know why we are? Because we are a body. And the body of Christ means that there are men and women in this space, in this church, that can positively invest in the next generation, even if they don't have dads at home. We will be the exception. We are not the rule. All right, the rule may say fatherless kids can't grow up with the same benefits. I'm going to say wrong. Fatherless kids out of Harvest Ridge might not, but Harvest Ridge kids will grow up with all the benefits. Do you know why? Because there are men in this space that are investing in the next generation. And there are ladies in this space that are investing in the next generation. And they're praying and working and serving and loving the next generation. This is our core value here. We are not here simply to let you raise your kids alone, but we're in this together to serve together. So we've got... We got role rangers, we've got girls ministries, we've got kids ministries going in the back. We've got spaces where... Listen, I know some of you are stressed out dads, but you know within your heart God is talking to you right now. You need to get involved in kids' ministry. Some of you are stressed out moms, and you know you need to get involved with kids' ministry. Listen, last Sunday morning, we had 21 kids in our preschool room. 21, 21 preschoolers in our preschool room last week. 21. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? We've got to split that class soon. Where are those teachers going to come from? At Harvest Ridge, our core value is we invest in the next generation and we will be the safe place for them to grow up because they've got people in their lives here that are going to invest in them. Listen, I was raised by James and Juanita Crow, but there was Sister Gormley and there was Sister Phillips and there was Paul Rainwater and there was Holly Gentry and those people made a huge impact on my life. And me sitting here today, a lot of it is them as well as my parents. 
We are a church. We invest in the next generation. We're a part of it. Let's do it. And if you're saying, all right, all right, I know I need to do it. Let's do it. I tell you what, take that card in front of you and, and where it says what's next on the back, you just say, I want, I'll serve the kids and take it and we'll put it by the, uh, the um, um, welcome center or the guest services out there, the little welcome desk. And when you drop it off, uh, we'll be in touch with you. We'll get you started. Listen, this church is the safe place for the next generation to grow into men and women of God. And you and I make it happen. So uh, this is the first, if you get this promise right about honoring your father and mother, Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 says that it would go well with you and you may enjoy long life. So this actually has a promise attached to the to the promise, basically, is that if you do this, if you honor your parents, you're going to have a good life, and it's going to go well with you. And so I think that there's, God encourages family units, right? He encourages honor and respect, and he encourages authority figures. So uh, I don't know about you, but I think that's a great thing, that it may go well with me. I want life to go well with me, right? And I want to live a long time. I don't want to die at like no young age. Goodness. <laughs> We're getting older and older. <laughs> anyway, so the Speak second for yourself, woman. <laughs> the second fearless, the second fearless thing for fearless parenting would be the goal is to raise godly and productive adults. What is the goal of your parenting? All right. So a lot of people have not goals. You know what not goals are, right? I am not going to raise my kids the way my parents raised me. I am not going to give them a curfew at 11 o'clock, or I am not going to let them run around wild like I did. You hear all of those? Those are not goals. Not goals is that you will not do what your parents did. Those are not goals of what you're going to do. They're goals of what you're not going to do. And, and do you know what that's like? That's like driving a car down the road and looking this way. It's really dangerous to live your life looking this way while driving this direction. You're moving into your future. Why not make some goals that are future-oriented, not goals that are just not goals? So let's move into our future. So if you're going to look forward, not backwards, this passage tells us how to do it. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead, notice these words, bring them up. So there's a forward look here. There's a bring them up. Now, we, we want to make sure we're looking forward with our goals. So, go so ahead. So, what helps in this is proactive parenting rather than reactive parenting, okay? You can save yourself and your kids a world of trouble if you're proactive as a parent. Now, to me, when I think about this, I think of the illustration of sex ed, okay? Uh, we've talked with parents. They're intimidated. They don't feel comfortable doing it. Who does, okay? So they wait, and they wait until their kid asks something. I'm going to tell you by then it's probably too late, all right? So I want, I wanted my kids to have, to have the view of a healthy sex in marriage from my brain, not from the school bus, Right. And they're going to learn it from the school bus or they're going to learn it from something. So why not make an impact on them earlier than you think? So that's always the age-old question. When do I talk to my kids? We've had parents ask us about that. And I'm going to say probably earlier than you may feel comfortable with. Now, I'm not telling about, talking about, you know, bring the whole truckload in and dumping on them. I'm saying, though, that you have to open up communication. So... As an illustration, I was watching America's Next Top Model with one of my kids one time, you know, that great American show. And, um, and there was a transvestite on there that was dressed up. And, you know, I'm trying to parent through this. We're seeing this. And I'm like, 
do you know what a transvestite is? And they looked at me with this look on my face like, mom. And, and literally the comment was, yes, mom, I do. I go to public school. I'm like, I think I should have started this conversation earlier because I had no way to speak into that. It was too late. So just an encouragement to you parents out there. When things are rough, you probably need to talk about it. Not just sex ed, but all kinds of different things. So if the goal of parenting is to raise perfect kids, well then what you do is you isolate them and shelter them. But if the goal of parenting is to raise godly, productive adults, then what you do is you coach them through the difficulties of life. You don't shelter them from problems, you coach them on how to handle them. So our goal was never to raise good kids. We succeeded at that. <laughs> our goal was never, never to raise good kids. Our goal was always to raise godly and productive adults. Uh, by the way, there, was, there, there is, can I talk real quickly to the Christian culture for a second? If you're in the Christian culture, you have a tendency to want to hide. You do. It's sort of the Noah's Ark thing. We want to pull of all of our kids in the ark and keep them from the rains and the floods that are going to destroy the world. And the problem with pulling your kids into the ark is even that story didn't go so well for Noah and his daughters. Just read a couple of chapters later. Because overprotectionism and hiding from problems never actually solved the problem. It actually causes more of a focus on the problem. No, 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 then all the kid thinks about is, what's no? I would rather raise adults who know how to go through adolescence in their early teens rather than in their 30s like the rest of our culture. And if they can, if they can make mistakes while they're under your roof, you have some say in helping them steer and direct and things that they think about that, right? If they're outside, so I went to a Bible college and it was a strict Bible college. And when I got there, there were kids that their parents had sheltered them and they went berserk. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because they had never learned how to cope with some of the temptations and some of the things in this life. So just encourage you to help steer the ship while they're underneath your roof because that's your, that's your best time for your most input that you can have to make a difference in their life now and later. So how do you do this? Well, the scripture tells you how to do this. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? The Bible's very clear. It tells you what you need to do to make your right decisions. Here you go. You ready? Hebrews 12.9, moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a, for a what? What's that word? Little while, for a little while. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Boy, this is super duper clear, isn't it? You only get a little while, and you can only do as good as you think you can. And it probably won't be good enough. But you know what? We're not called to get everything right as parents. We're called to pay attention for a little while and do our best. Do you know why God doesn't give you a divine direction book, do this, 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 and your kids will be this? Do you know why he doesn't? Because God tried that. It's 
remember the Garden of Eden? Remember Adam and Eve? They were in the perfect location. Come on, it had to be a perfect location. They did not need clothes and they didn't get cold. <laughs> Can somebody say amen to that? They were naked. They felt no shame. They had all the food they want. They had chores. They had chores that were doable but weren't oppressive. God gave them the perfect environment. He just gave them one rule. What's one rule? Don't eat my fruit. Don't eat my fruit. You can have all your fruit. I gave you everything in the garden. Don't eat my fruit. One command. Did they obey the one command? No. Because, you see, if you make everything perfect, kids still have something. Free will. I was talking to my mom not long ago on the phone, and I was talking about some mistakes I made, and she said, well, I guess I just failed you as a mom. And I said, Mom, I'm a full-grown man. At this point, it ain't your fault. Every decision I make is right here on me. I'm a grown man. I make my decisions, and these are my decisions. I make the mistakes because I'm stupid, not because you are. Right? So what I'm saying here is, could we remove some of this guilt? Your kids have free will. You could do everything perfect. I know, I've heard it quoted. Bring up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And that's a promise from God. The problem is, it's not a promise. It's in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs are not promises. The book of Proverbs are observations for a wise life. There's a difference because, you know, how, how can it... How can, anyway, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But God himself raised everything perfect for his kids, and his kids fell into sin. So therefore, kids are going to make mistakes no matter what you do. So you discipline for a little while because if they grow to be 80 years old... You really, really, you got, what, 10, 15 years that you really, they can understand you enough to, that you can talk to them? After that, they, hopefully they're adolescent. They're not going to be 40-year-old living in your basement. Hopefully they'll, you know. You know what adolescent is? Do you know what adolescent is? Adolescence is that time period where you choose for yourself who you want to become. That's what adolescence is. And, and you know what? I'd like adolescence to go back to 13, 14 and get it out of the 25 to 30 range. Because it needs to go back to that for a very simple reason. Because I want our kids here at Harvest Ridge to choose about 12 or 13 to follow Christ so they don't go to high schools and act like total idiots and do things they're going to regret the rest of their lives. So I want them to make the decision for Christ early so we can coach them through the temptations while we're thinking on the same wavelengths. So if you only have a little time, what does that little time look like? So a few little points here. First, you have the formative years. You know, that's when they're about two years old. You see them all the time. They're in Walmart. They're screaming. They're, you know, and, and the parent is trying to. This is when you are in control, or you should be, right? This is when a two-year-old is going to tell you they want chocolate every single meal. Or a four-year-old. Or a four-year-old. This is when you are in control. They're the formative years. The next we have? The instructive years. Now, the formative years are when they're early, and then you have the instructive years where you're helping them learn to think. Oh, parents, please do yourself a favor. Teach your kids to think. We have a, oh my goodness, you want to get them before they get to TikTok because the thinking on TikTok <laughs> is... Some of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life 
are passed around in these years among kids. And, and what I think it is good, if during the formative years you act like you're in control, you tell them how to think, then in your instructive years you, you actually talk to them about why we have beliefs that we have and why that we don't spend all of our money on drugs, but instead we pay the light bill. Th those are the years you do that. So then you have the directive years, and those are helping them to apply properly their thoughts. Usually this is about the teen years. Adolescent, Adolescent yeah. years. So what happens is everything that you've tried to be pouring into them, you know, now they're trying to apply it. And how do they do that properly? And you want the foundation there so that they can make the right decisions. Because that leads you to the next phase, which is actually the very longest phase, right. which is the relationship years. And the relationship years are when you're full-grown kids and you have a relationship with one another. Now, here's the problem that we have in our culture, and, and we're sort of shoved this. I use the word culture a lot, and the reason I use the word culture is we're like fish swimming in water. A, a little goldfish swimming around in water doesn't realize it's swimming in water because that's the culture it lives in. And us, we live in a world all the time that thoughts, ideas, and beliefs are just the water we swim in. And I'm telling you, you weren't designed for this water. You were designed for heavenly water. And, and we need to identify the place of the culture is wrong. And our culture is feeding us that we need to have our relationship years where the formative years are. So I listen to moms all the time trying to make friends out of a two, three, four, five, six-year-old. And you don't make friends out of a child whose brain doesn't even have the synapses connected yet to think logically about anything. You simply tell the kids, you will sit down, you will be quiet, or you will lay in that bed until you learn to keep your temper under control. That's a parent's job at the formative years. You're not like, oh, I want to have a relationship with my child. What happens is if you put the relationship years during the formative years, when it comes time for the relationship years, the kids don't want to have a relationship with you. So let's put them in the right order while they're little. Let's tell them what to think. Then let's help them learn to think. And then let's help them think how it applies to the world so that when they make their own decisions, they put me in the right nursing home. Amen. Amen. Um, and so, you know, what goal do you have as a family? Have you guys ever thought about this? What, what goal do you have? So Andy Stanley, who is a very well-known preacher from Atlanta, he says this is his goal, okay, that my adult children would want to be together and with their parents even when they don't have to be. Hmm. That is a good goal right there. I agree with you. The thing is, not one thing in there was about I want my son and daughter to make a million dollars or not one of those those are this is based on relationship right so i think if we think about this and and it's not too late what do you want your family what goal do you want to have guys plan it now do everything around that goal because i tell you what at the end of the day when you look back and you are laying in you know on death's door you don't want to have to say i wish i would have spent more time with them right so um these, these are really good thoughts for you to think about. Wherever you're at in this stage, uh, you can make a change to make it work the right way. But sometimes we get a little crazy, all right? The, the problem is it's a little while, and that little while is pretty out of control, right? Yeah, it can be crazy, especially when you have, like, kids under that age of driving age. Okay, it can be crazy when they're driving, too. Don't get me wrong. But under that driving age, so we had three. 
at one point, we were sports people. We had three kids in five sports because they overlapped while the seasons were ending, okay? And we had all the church activities, which they always loved to be at. Their best friends were at church. We had braces on all three of them. You know how this goes, right? You are in the crazy cycle. One year, no joke, I put 25,000 miles on my Dodge minivan, okay? I live in North Ridgeville, so are most of our activities. And he says to me, how in the world did you ever put 25,000 miles on this minivan? It was all city driving. Because I'm picking up this kid or this friend and I'm bringing him, you know, and we're so doing So what's that. the illustration of that? It's like so, dingbat, right? Dingbat. You know, have you ever played dingbat? You have a baseball bat, right? And you put your head, if you're not familiar with this game, it, I almost illustrated it up here. And then and you, you spin around it. And like then you this. spin around and then you have a goal and you're supposed to run after you stop spinning about 10 times to the goal. Well, you never make it. You go this way, you fall down. You go that way, you fall down. And if you're in the crazy kid spin, okay, the one that you just feel like you, you put your head on the pillow at night and you're like, I don't think I can do it tomorrow, then don't. You have to stop sometimes, get readjusted. You have to figure out what is it that I'm actually doing? What is my goal? And, uh, and I think just readjustment. That's good. Uh, so go on a date with your spouse and realign your goal, all right? Uh, a couple of clips. We're going to do this really quick, all right, so this won't take long. So the final thing is we're going to give you three tips for child-rearing. These shouldn't take long to give you the tips for child-rearing, for child and these tips are, are, I hope, useful for you. The number one is discipline is necessary. So uh, whenever a child is hurt, whenever a child is hungry or lonely or any of those kind of things, they have a need. And one of the goals of a parent is to know how to meet the needs of a child. If they have a need, if they're starving to death, feed them, right? Um, so if they have a need, we help meet the need. If they need comfort, if they need comfort, learn to give them comfort. This is how Jesus deals with us. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but yet he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he cried because he knew the people there needed his empathy, not just the miracle. So Jesus literally wept to give them comfort. So a parent, if your kid needs something, give them what they need. But if your kid is mad about what they need, and they're mad about not getting it, that's when we need to discipline. This calls for wisdom on your part to know what's the difference between a need and what's the difference between a temper tantrum. But anybody ever hear a kid go from I'm hungry to I'm mad that I'm not getting fed? You ever hear that cry? Y'all know what, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Any moms in the place, I know you do. So what happens is, is when it moves into a, when it's a need and you can meet the need, you meet the need. But when you can't meet the need, you need to discipline the misbehavior that comes out of the unmet need. Now, I know what some of you heard. Some of you heard punish. But I'm not saying punish. I'm saying discipline. Sometimes discipline is not punishment. It's sometimes how God treats us. Oh, yeah? Well, you want to throw a fit? Well, you just get the result of your fit. You want to fall down on the floor and hit your head? Well, then let's just let it bleed. <laughs> There's a lot of compassion at our house. Can you tell? <laughs> but anybody ever had God treat you that way? I mean, now, if you're going to hurt themselves, that's one thing. 
But come on, sometimes discipline sounds like I'm going to put you in an isolated space until you learn to self-soothe. Sometimes discipline is, no, 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 you do not fail math. So what we're going to do is we're going to put Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 into practice. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the only reason you're failing math is because you're not doing the work. So I'm not going to yell at you and ground you for 14 years, but I tell you what, you're going to bring your math textbook home, and you're going to sit at this table every night for an hour and a half and do your math homework while I watch you do it. Okay, so this requires a lot of discipline on the part of the parents, right? Because we're talking about, in order to show discipline, it's oftentimes in the form of self-discipline, right? right? And, And parents... I hate to tell you, but I know it's super fun to sit at the kitchen table and watch your kid do geometry, which you haven't learned for 20 years, right? And you have no idea how to help them. But I'm going to tell you that takes more discipline, and you're doing it together, and you are actually helping them learn not only only disciplining them, but self-discipline on basically the hard work of learning. So let's break this verse down. The do not exasperate means you don't blow up and do stupid stuff. It means you as a parent, you don't create another problem on top of their problem. If they have a problem with math and say they bring home an F, and if you blow up and you scream and rant and rave or stick your fist through a wall or whatever it is that you do, if, if that's what you do, you exasperate, you add to the problem. Instead, what you need to do, it says instead, you do two things. You train them. What is training? Training is if I was gonna run a marathon, <laughs> no, just kidding. If I was going to run a marathon, I couldn't do it by sitting on the couch, right? I have to get up and I have to train for that marathon. So when you're talking in, for our kids, we have to train them on how to change their actions. My actions aren't going to change sitting on the couch. I have to train them how to change their actions. So in, in temper tantrum on a two-year-old all the way to a failing class of a, of a senior in high school, either way, the goal is to discipline them into new behaviors. Training. Are, are y'all getting this? It's training them. And, and that word, pedos, means literally you're, you're setting some rules out and they follow. And then the second word is instruction. So what does instruction have to do with it? If there's a behavior that isn't right, this is how God teaches us. He gives us new paths, but he also tells us to think differently about it. Instruction is changing your way of thinking about the problem. So I can't pass math. I do blah, blah, blah. Hey, no, no, no. My kid is smart enough to pass math. You just aren't doing the work. We need you to apply yourself because you have what it takes. Do you see the difference in mentality there? So that's the difference in training is action, instruction is attitude. And the next thing you could do, another tip, would be motivate by affirmation. Everyone, I don't care what age you are, learns better and is instructed better with affirmation over demoralization. No one ever is going to learn well if you're sitting at that table with that kid saying, you are so stupid. I cannot believe that you get that. I'm sorry. That is, that is bad parenting right now. Amen. If you are calling your child a name rather than equipping them to handle what is in front of them, you're not helping them solve the problem. You're actually uh, perpetuating the cycle. That's right. So Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise in heart are called discerning and pleasant words promote instruction. 
Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads you to repentance. This is how God treats us. He motivates us by affirmation. Anybody ever train a dog? When you train a dog, what do you do? When they do the desired behavior, you give them a treat. We used to teach, we taught Rocky out of fetch when I was a, a kid. And we'd throw the ball and he would go get the ball and we'd bring it back. And every time he'd bring the ball back, we'd give him a treat. If he kept the ball in his mouth, we wouldn't give him a treat. He had to drop the ball. You know, sit, same thing, right? So you train a, draw, a dog by positive affirmation. Why is it then we train children with negative demoralization? I tell you why. Because we aren't thinking. It's easier to be negative than to be positive. You have to search for positive. You know the old sticks and stones break my bones, names never hurt me. Wrong, 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 okay? Names are always going to hurt. And I'm going to tell you, it takes, it takes maybe taking a second thinking about what you're going to say before you blurt out what would become natural to you, which would be negative. And one of your big deals is, Robin's always said, we have to outsmart our kids. What? We have to outsmart her. Smart them. So when we had one that was having trouble potty training, we, somebody gave us this tip. And the tip was throw some Fruit Loops in the toilet bowl and let them shoot the Fruit Loops. Potty training lasted about, about one day. And I think after that, it was, hey, can I shoot the Fruit Loops? It became fun. You know what? They were potty training. They just didn't realize because it be turned into a game. That's what I mean by outsmarting. Sometimes you can do the same chore, like the little Mark Twain thing. You know, get everybody to paint the fence. You just have to think, think before you act sometimes. Motivate by affirmation. Then last of all, cor correct with identity. If you ever have to correct, you just don't correct outside of identity. You correct within identity. So what that means is, is that we define our character as who we are. You know how I was talking to you earlier about how you're citizens of a different culture? That's your identity. You are citizens with God. You are a child of God. You are redeemed by God. You have an eternity. You have all of eternity looking forward to you. You have power over today's struggles. And all of those are identity characteristics that God says about you. So God trains you through identity. So we train our children through identity. We don't lie. We don't lie to one another. You can't trust a liar, and we trust each other. And you don't, you don't lie because in the Crow household, we don't lie to one another because we trust one another. We stand up for each other. Yes. We, we protect yes. our, our, each other. We protect you, you, brother and sisters, protect each other because you are the only people that have each other's back. Okay, these are the kind of words we said growing up. Listen, if you are lonely, Go find somebody that's just as lonely as you on the playground. I guarantee you are not alone. There's somebody else who's just as lonely. Go find them. So we tried to use all kinds of words like this. One of the things that I said a lot was that cream rises to the top. You know what? I don't expect perfection, but I would say, you know what? We're not like that. It is hard for a Christian kid to be a Christian kid right now, guys. They are standing up for things that you or I never had to stand right. up for. And they're standing up against things. And so with that, I, I would tell my kids, listen, cream rises to the top. Yes. That is the best part of the milk. It is actually going up. You are that cream. Yes. You will taste good to the world. Constantly affirming the fact that they can be better than the world around them. Identity creates behavior. 
And if you look in the mirror and you repeat words of loserdom to yourself, you will behave like one. But in the kingdom of God, we have a God Almighty that created an identity for you when he said, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not like everybody else. You're so special. God loved you and paid for you. You have an identity of a winner in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Do you, do you hear words like this? God wants you to know that you have an identity in him, that you do not have to behave like the rest of the world because you are his special child. And as his special child, you are a victor, a winner, an overcomer. And if life gets tough, even then you got the power to make the choices to give you victory through that. And if you don't see it, he even says stuff like this. He says stuff like, do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time you'll reap your harvest. Because God's always going to reward you. He's always going to bless you. These are the identity things that God puts into your heart and mind if you'll let him do it. So in your family, are you creating that identity? Are you creating an identity of anger, of selfishness? Come on, get off your devices and look at people and say positive words to them. Quit complaining about government all the time and start elevating Jesus. Create a new identity of a victor rather than a victim. I I wish I could preach this so somebody understood me. But that's what God says about you. Will you step into it or will you stay where you are? So in your household, we did something in our household. We said prayers every night. It's just who we were. Trust me, it wasn't spiritual. 90% of the time, there was no spiritualness to it, right? Gather everybody together. We would read a short verse. We're not talking about like a 45-minute devotion here. You know, we're talking about a scripture verse. And then we would all pray together. And then we would we always... We said the same prayer every night the same way. Yeah. And then at the end, we always did the same thing together. Go, Go cross. You know why? Because we wanted our kids to know that our identity is we love each other, we care for each other, we're on the same team, we're going to look out for each other. And we did that as long as they were in the house, actually. We, we would end our prayer with that. So this morning, God calls you his child. He wants you to throw your hand in this morning and say, go God's, you know, because go Yahweh's. Come on, we're Yahweh's kids, right? We're in this together. We're in this together. We're we're part with each other. We stand up for each other. That's our identity. And if you're in this room and you're not a part of that identity, I want to invite you in today. Come on in. Water's good in here. It's better in here than it is in culture's water. That's nasty and polluted stuff. In here, it's fresh, life-giving. You will find rest for your souls. I want to invite you in to a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody, would you bow your heads with me today? If you're in this room and you have not yet stepped into a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you in right now. If you're, uh, if you're in this room and, and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, today's your day to step into a relationship with him. Lift your hand real high. I want to pray with you right now. If that's you, lift your hand real high. I want to pray with you. Yes, yes. Are there others? I saw that one. 
Yes, yes. Around this room, people saying today, I'm gonna put my identity in Jesus. I'm gonna quit this identifying with the world. I'm gonna quit identifying with my past. I'm gonna start identifying with God's future for me. So everybody, everybody together, we pray together at Harvest Ridge because we're a family. We're Yahweh's kids. Let's do this together, everybody together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thanks for receiving me and making me your child. Take my life. I give it completely. Thanks for accepting me. I believe in you. Thank you for your love. Amen. Now, if you made that confession of Jesus as your Lord, he accepted you. If you're online, text uh, believe to that number. And you know what? I think we need to end today. We need to end today by singing a song that's been sung for hundreds of years about our identity in Christ. Can we do that? Would you stand with me and let's sing it together.
Anybody ever watch 007 when you were a kid? Yeah, you remember 007? Yeah, 007 was all cool, right? Yeah. You are God's 007. Go change the world. You have a license to life. Not to kill, but to give life. In the name of Jesus, as God's kids, we go change our world. In the name of Jesus. Have a great week, everybody.